Welcome to this week's episode of the Chopping Wood Inside podcast, the Twin Peaks podcast for conspiracy theorists and aficionados. My name's Murphy, your host. This is uh, my little sidekick, Tom's out there somewhere. Tom, I'm here Tom. right now. And, uh, oh, what? I, I, yeah, but the, the Morgans are coming over for dinner, so I don't really have much time. Uh, well, that's perfect, because we're here to talk about Twin Peaks episodes one and two of The Return. Uh, we have seen that episode. I've, how many times have you seen one and two, you think? I I think I've averaged maybe about five times per episode. Like I've seen each episode about five times. Well, full disclosure, we are up to we have seen uh, episode seven. So this is a, a retroactive review of uh, one and two, and I think maybe for a good reason because the first t- time I saw it, I just it was over my head, and I reacted very differently to the way I reacted when I rewatched them recently. Um, so I think it's good as all Lynch products. Uh, R is to give it time to marinate and steep and see where it's going and uh, so I feel I feel ready to tackle one and two you want to go hey hey do you want to go linearly we don't normally go linearly but you've got notes right I, I have notes and usually we do the Black Lodge we start you know reverse speak we start at the end and then we work our way backwards at least we, we've tried to do that a couple of times but I think we just go off on so many different tangents I think it would be probably wise to maybe go in a linear fashion tonight. Although I will say that the chromatic song at the end of episode two, because one and two really are considered one full movie, I would say. I don't even like to break them up into two, but only uh, Hulu, right? And some other... Did anybody else break them up into two episodes? I'm not sure. I have Hulu, so um, that's that's what I've been watching, obviously, and they do well, break it up. But I have Showtime, and it's it's together as like a two-hour like movie, basically. And I think that's how it should be presented, because it just flows so much better without having that mid-credit sequence of the giant just yeah. starting off. Yeah. And that, that is what turned me off from the first episode because I was like, what the hell kind of ending is this? And now I know it was chopped on uh, just to separate them into two episodes. Uh, so for this conversation's sake, let's just consider this as one big uh, two-hour movie. Um, and I will say at the beginning here that I really love the chromatic song at the end. I thought that was a fantastic ending. And it really kind of, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a wonderful ending to the first, uh, the first episode. So now that we got that out of the way, now we can go with <laughs> <laughs> I just right. had to throw it in there. Right. No, and I don't, I mean, we watched it together, um, the first two episodes, actually the first four, because they dropped the first four the same night. And uh, I had this, a similar reaction to you, but I don't think it was over your head. I think that, you know, we had 25 years, 25 plus years of expectations. And, you know, we had like, what, maybe two or three scenes in Twin Peaks proper in the first part and maybe the same thing in the maybe a total of 15 minutes out of the two hours in Twin Peaks so we were taken to all these different places and it was it was really kind of slowly paced and the expectations so I don't think anything was over your head I just think that we didn't know what we were in for and it was a completely different beast 
I mean, my expectations, I try to, you know, tamp them down. But even so, I was like, this is not good. Uh, you know? Well, they, that's I, the thing is, is he's creating a new, a new genre here. I mean, has there ever been an 18-hour narrative movie ever made before that wasn't like an art piece, like an experimental thing? There's the I know Kislowski, a Polish filmmaker, did the Decalogue, which was I, 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 I mean, I haven't seen it. I've seen some of Kislowski's uh, work, and I want to say it's like it was a ten part anthology. And then then we had Von Stroheim uh, did Greed, six hours, right? Yeah, but days. that was yeah yeah that was an epic film, which I think is lost. I don't think that six hour cut exists anywhere. And then there was also Fassbender, right? The Berlin Berlin Alexanderplatz. Um, I think is what it's entitled, and I want to say that's like fourteen episodes. I but mean, did I that feel like a? That felt kind of like a television show. Like, does this? I mean, I guess it didn't. But uh, this just really feels so much, and it's paced so much like an eighteen-hour movie. That's what caught me caught me off guard. I think was that he, they were not interested in episodic narrative structure and giving us anything to really hold on to in terms of expectations in those first two episodes as episodes. As well, pieces yeah, of an eighteen-hour film. They they were great, uh, but that was what I what I was over my head. I think. Well, for me, I had been you know, and you have as well, or had been, you know, reading all about you know the you know when it was announced and whatever whatever little tidbits we can get. Uh, for me, what what I gathered was that Lynch and Frost they spent an inordinate inordinate amount of time on those first two hours, like the, a new pilot. Basically, they spent a lot of time trying to get that right. So my thought uh, with that is like they had something really, really tight. They had some kind of central mystery that, you know, unlike or like the Laura Palmer mystery uh, originally that was going to hook us in somehow. It wasn't going to go that same route, obviously. And so that's what my mind was going. That's what I thought they were going to do. And now I knew that they were shooting in other locations and it was going to it wasn't going to just be in Twin Peaks proper. But seeing this whole episode I mean, there there isn't a defined like central mystery in this. It really it just slowly unfolds, and until we get to Buckhorn, I think that's the moment where we get like our first real taste of some kind of mystery. Is that correct? Well, there's the box monster, you know. So we have that from the well, yeah, you're right. New York scene. That's a very um, kind of an abstract horror, but uh, we have that, and we have Buckhorn, and then we have Mr. C. Those are really well. Buckhorn is more. I mean, that we've got like a procedural in Buckhorn, right? We have. We have, you know, police arriving at a crime scene. Uh, we have two, well, we have a body and, and uh, a head, well, we have a headless body and a body without a head, but we have like a, a proper investigation. The the box monster, the glass box, I mean, those two just really, really long scenes and incredible scenes, by the way, but that's more, for in my opinion, like, you know, atmospheric because we still don't know what the hell that means. So for me, it wasn't until they got to Buckhorn that it really kind of got into a flow for me. And then it carried on into the second part. But do you want to start, you know, at the very beginning with, you know, Agent Cooper and the giant? Yeah, well, even before that, we saw Agent Cooper in the lodge with Laura from 25 years ago. Right. And it seemed to me when I first watched it, I was mesmerized, of course. And it, when she did the snap, you know, with her finger mm-hmm. and uh, it re- I immediately recalled like that, that same kind of sound from uh, – the trailer that they had put out where they were giving us flashes of images. I don't know if that was the same sound effect, but that's what I thought of. And then it looked like, was it, was that the exact same scene or was it changed in any way? I think it was the exact same scene, except for when she made that 
like that that kind of gesture with her hand and that snapping sound, it cut immediately to Agent Cooper. In the original series, it you saw her hand make that gesture and hold a beat and then cut to Agent Cooper. See, so, that must be what it was because when I saw that, I was like, holy shit, this is like, I'm reacting to this scene differently because it feels like the second she snaps her fingers that Cooper is, is like bad and gone evil. Like if for some reason, that's why I thought that, that, that she had him with that uh, in that snap. And that's probably, and I wonder if they wanted to imply that because they changed, as you said, the editing. They hung, they cut immediately to him with the snap as if to affirm my theory, um, but it changed, it's not how they originally shot it. I wonder why do you think they did that? Well, I mean, um, 25 years has pa- have passed. Um, I think... I mean, I, I didn't read too much into it. I mean, other than, you know, it you kind of cut succinctly to Agent Cooper on that snap. Um, I don't. I didn't really read too much into it, other than like, okay, we're we got a callback to you know, it's been twenty five years. Or I'll see you again in twenty five years. Here's our flashback. I really didn't think anything more than what we're seeing because we've already seen that. Um, and then we go right into the credit sequence, which is interesting because this has been the the uh, uh, only time that we've seen remnants of the Packard sawmill. Um, there's that shot of the old abandoned sawmill, um, and the credit sequence plays out a little bit longer in this first um, episode. And subsequent episodes, it just cuts basically right to the overhead shot of this atmospheric, you know, shot of the woods and and some kind of structure in, in the background, and then to the falls, and then into the to, into the red room. So I like that. Oh, they also, in the credit sequence, they also went to the high school. They cut to the high school, the hallway. Yeah, I love that. And then they cut to that uh, girl, that student screaming. You know, yeah, Strangely, when, we, that's not much. You don't see much of the high school in the rest of the, or at least the episodes we've seen thus far. I wonder if we'll ever see any high school scenes. Uh, that's a very good question. And something that I was actually just thinking about is that... Um, High school, I mean, obviously, several of our major characters were in high school. We had several major scenes in high school and no allusion to it, you know, um, yet, right? We haven't seen – we don't even yeah, know. Yeah, or even really high school kids. Like, are we there any high school kids seven episodes in that we Well, know? other than the – right, the, uh, the dispatcher uh, made reference to one of the students who died in the classroom, right? From Yeah, uh, we haven't seen him on camera, though, yet. Right, but, you know, that, that I'm assuming that's the Twin Peaks High School. Um, but okay, so what you were getting back to with with the snap um, with the the sound that Laura made with the fi- the snapping of the fingers or whatever, and the trailer right, which had those cuts, and every time there was a cut in that trailer, it snapped. I think you're exactly right. I think it's that sound. I don't think it's a well. And it sound. also seems this way that he changed the editing. It seemed like in the, when I first saw that scene, uh, 26 years ago or whatever, um, it uh, it was almost like Cooper was sitting there, and I was Cooper, and I was observing all this weird shit going on in front of me. You know, like dancing midgets, giants, one-armed men, Leland Palmer, like Laura. And so when that she did that snap. And she did the little finger thing. I don't, call, I don't want to call it a snap, but it was the little finger movement. He was just kind of observing it, and it did not affect him. But in this edit, it's like it affects him somehow and hits him. And I don't know why, why I thought that, but that was the only change. And they changed the editing um, maybe just to switch things up to make it look a little different. But it reacted, I reacted differently to it, and I was super excited the second. I was like, this is going to be great. So I, I love that. As soon as we got to Dr. Jacoby doing the gold shovels or getting receiving <laughs> shovels, my enthusiasm dropped by 22%. You know, um, that one other, not to belabor the Laura and the finger gesture, but if you remember in, Fire, 
and if you remember in Firewalk with Me, the scene in the pink room when Laura and Renette are in the booth and uh, Buck, I believe, is the one who's sitting across from them. Laura makes a similar That's gesture right. with her hands. And to go he, down on her. He goes down on I think yeah. he goes down on She does the snap finger and does the exact same movement to go down on her under the see, table. See and go down, down on, on both of them, actually. Both of them, I think. Yeah, yeah. right? Because she says, Renette says, uh, it does like we're back at One Eye Jacks. And, and Laura goes, God, it sure is. It like, feels like we're back That's at One Eye Jacks. That's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that. Yeah. So what yeah, you think that, about okay, Jacoby so, though. Let's get to yeah, Jacoby. So Jacoby. So that's her first real, like, proper scene, right? In twenty five years later, is Jacoby receiving the shovels, right? Yes, is that correct. Yes, that's the wait. First. Did we skip the giant? Is that or is that? Uh, do, do well, we, you're right. You're, no, no, that's no. I mean, the okay. So it goes. It goes to the the um, credit sequence, obviously, and then it. It goes right to the giant and Cooper. So yeah, oh, we, we did not talk about yeah we didn't talk about the giant. So do you do you want to talk about why the giant is listed in the credits as question marks and not the giant? Well, maybe it's not the giant. Maybe it's a different. He's playing a different character. Maybe Who he's would a doppelganger. He be playing? Well, he's doppelganger, of course. <laughs> well, but that like that whole scene in the final episode um, twenty nine, when we see the giant in the black lodge. You know, he says one and the same with Senior Drool Cup. Like they were, he was the host of Senior Drool Cup. At least that's what I took when I saw that scene. Maybe we should call him Senior Question Marks. <laughs> See, that's good. It's inexplicable good. why he did that. I have no idea, though. But well, it's so, got to so be. Bizarre. Well, um, I think he's I, done some strange things with the credits this season so well, far. Well, isn't the uh, Sooty Mr. Balloonhead, aka Mr. Balloonhead, aka um, Killer Bill? I don't believe he is listed in the credits. Yeah, at I was going to ask you that. Wait, wait, he's not. He's got to be listed somewhere. The guy is an actor. I don't think so. No, I mean he is, but I think they're keeping it a secret. That's weird. So <laughs> that's, that's weird. Weird. That was very Dougie esque there. Um, yeah. So that I don't know. I mean, um, I think I don't think it's Lynch. Just okay. All right, we're going to throw him a curveball and just you know, we'll switch out, you know, the giant for a bunch of question marks. I think there's a, a reason for there's that. There's going to be a reveal, I would say, at some point. Well, there's also... who he really is. I read an interview... Maybe he's God. He, well, he could be <laughs> some God. Well, he... I, wasn't he kind of like Cooper's... I wouldn't say God, but kind of like... Not guardian angel, but like Virgil, if we want to go into, um, you know, Dante's Inferno. He was the one in the start of the second season who, you know, provided him with some clues... To actually solve the crime that he was there to solve in Twin Peaks, and then once Cooper figured it out, he gave him back his his ring, and then he was on you know on his merry way. And we didn't see him again, I don't think, until like uh, Annie. No, we saw him again. No, we saw him in the Roadhouse yeah, at the Roadhouse when uh, right before the Twin Peaks Miss Twin Peaks uh, pageant didn't like he was about to kiss Annie because she was going to enter into the contest, and then he saw him on the stage going no. Yeah. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, he did, um, that is happening again as well a few episodes before that. When, well, yeah, but that was before he um, solved the crime. I just I skipped over that part. But um, oh yeah, well he so, always seemed like a good guy. He seemed like he was on his side. I do miss the um, in this uh, incarnation, the second scene of this episode. He he speaks backwards and differently. And I miss he's aged. He looks kind of like Howdy Doody. But um, he, I miss <laughs> uh, 
He kind of has jowls, like these jowls that remember me of had uh, like a Charlie McCarthy doll. But um, I do miss the original series giant where he was, he had very, very, very calm tones. Right. And I can't do it, but he did a great, it was very soothing and mysterious, but his complete intonation is totally different now. So I'm not sure if he is a good guy anymore, but I thought he was definitely a good guy in the beginning. But uh, Well, he makes out. he makes uh, a reference to it is in our house now. He gives multiple clues. Yeah, right, he multiple. seems like he's in our house, so it seems like it's a different part of the lodge. Uh, it doesn't look like the Red Room. It's in black and white. It has carpet. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like uh, the giant's little little uh, you know apartment's bungalow swing pad in the Red, red Room. Um, or the White Lodge. Maybe it's the White Lodge, yeah. Maybe it is a part of it. But how is that possible? That doesn't make sense to me. Well, that Cooper is in the White Lodge. You could be in the Black Lodge and the White Lodge at the same time. Well, isn't the whole thing with the White and Black Lodge? I mean, it's it's all kind of vague. At least the White Lodge is more vague than than the Black Lodge. But I believe Major Briggs, if I'm not mistaken, mentioned in the original series that um, fear and love open the, the, the doorways or the gateways to each lodge. Fear would be for the Black Lodge and love would be for the White Lodge. So um, I still don't think we've ever been to the White Lodge or seen the White Lodge other than maybe that brief glimpse of Major Briggs on his throne um, when he's retelling his uh, disappearance um, from when he was camping in the woods with, with Cooper at one point. So I don't know. Um, but I do believe that that scene is not uh, structured you know, in a linear fashion. I think it, it takes place somewhere you know in the future, that you know, events that we have yet to see. Because Cooper... Obviously, you were saying about the room, it looks different. Does it look like the red room, the waiting room, the red room, whatever we want to call it? But Cooper seems to know, you know, like, you know, what he's talking about with his clues. Because doesn't he say, like, I understand after he mentions. Yeah, why don't you uh, rail off the list of clues that he gives him? Well, I think the first thing that he says is listen to the sounds. And um, there's a phonograph in, in that room, and it makes, you know, some kind of you know, clicking sound or whatever. And, you know, they both look at it and I believe someone, uh, like slowed it down and someone in, you know, some audio, you know, guru or whatever slowed it down. And apparently the sound sounds just like, like the slot machine that Dougie was like, you know, the lever or whatever, which is very interesting. That's interesting. If that's true. But people also speculate that the sound, uh, that, uh, I think it's in episode two, but when we see, um, Jacoby spray painting, uh, the shovels that the sound of the mechanism that he uses when he pushes the button to make the shovels move automatically so that he doesn't have to move to spray paint them also had a similar clicking type of sound. Well, that would well. be interesting. There's a whole thing. I'm not going to get into it here, but there's a whole thing with alchemy in this new iteration um, with you know, metals and uh, gold, obviously, you know, color motifs. Um, I read recently someone wrote this like really long article that went into it was almost it was way over my head actually about all these you know uh, references to alchemy and what they what they may mean or whatever but it's interesting that you mentioned the jacoby thing if that could be the sound or whatever there's something going on with alchemy i don't think it's like you know going to be you know something that's relevant to the the major mysteries at hand i think it's more subtextual but um but yeah, alchemy, you know, just a buzzword there for, for those who want to kind of look that up or whatever. It's very But that wasn't one of the clues that the giant gave. What is the, what the no, he was? wasn't. He was like, listen <laughs> to the sounds. And then, um, one long clue. One long clue. Backwards. And then he, he says, it is in our house now. And then Cooper says, it is? Like, you know, he, you know, it's like, <laughs> like a question, it is? And then he goes into 
um, it cannot all uh, it cannot be uh, it, it all cannot be said aloud now. And then he says, "Remember four three zero Richard and Linda, two birds with one stone." And then Cooper says, "I understand." And then there's a pause, and then the giant slash question mark says, "You are far away." And then Cooper disappears. There's a little like static sound, a little electricity kind of static sound, and and Cooper doesn't dissolve. It's almost like uh, like, like a know, 1980s like flame dissolve. Yeah, like, like you know yeah. someone just turned off Bad the television TV. or whatever, That's and just blew the image just kind of like just kind of like you know, disappeared and faded to black really quickly or whatever. But so yeah, so we have this very cryptic opening. Um, a, you know, a callback maybe to you know the second season premiere where the giant first appears and gives Cooper a set of clues, which leads him to ultimately solve um, the case. I think those clues were a little bit, you know, or, or you know, uh, more not uh, less vague than the clues that the giant is giving Cooper now because we got all kinds of you know speculation about you know Richard and Linda because we've had two references to Richard and Linda or there's been two characters we've seen one and not the other right there's uh, uh richard and linda is that correct uh i thought since we've watched episode seven that we've heard of a linda and we've seen one richard right that's it so i i don't think and we've talked about this in other podcasts i think it's not little dicky horn richard horn and linda who's at the fat trot trailer park i think it's i have a theory that it's something else but it'll probably probably be something completely different that no one really has figured out but so we have this opening very cryptic opening, and then that, at that point we go right into um, Twin Peaks and Jacoby. And we uh, get Jacoby uh, receiving some packages, and really it's about a three-minute scene in the woods, and nothing is said. <laughs> and that's that's it. No there's music. Nothing else, there's nothing no more music. to be said about that scene. We can move on to the next scene, which I think was in New York, right? Yeah, then we go right to New York, and that overhead drone shot. I'm assuming it's a drone. They're not using probably helicopters anymore for that that was an amazing shot of new york i've never seen it shot like i don't know how he does that how did i mean how many times how many movies have there been like these kind of establishing shots of the skyline well it's interesting that he still does the establishing shots a lot of people don't do establishing shots anymore you know he's still doing them he does he loves these little stuff i mean we we've got any number of establishing shots and with subtitles Yeah. yeah so So this is great so we 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 we, why don't we get into the story of uh, what's going on in new york yeah, so we're introduced to um, Sam, who is a student who you know, took this job to uh, from, I don't think he was hired by the anonymous billionaire, but apparently this anonymous billionaire owns this building. And there, uh, Sam is at least the second person um, hired to monitor this glass box and to change out the you know digital chips in these cameras and just watch. He's like the watcher. And uh, we've got this really like long scene. It's very, I mean, for me, it felt like a little bit kind of like Kubrickian 2001, like that glass, there's a, kind of like a glass eye within the glass box, which made me think of Hal. Um, and it kind of looked like the eye was looking back at them, like the same shape as the cameras that was looking at, at yeah, the box. Yeah. The eye in the back of the box was looking back at the guy because when he sits down, they show the, the box and you see the circle looking back at us. And then you cut to the, the POV of the circle looking at him sitting down on the, the seat. So it's kind of a, a very ominous show. You're right. Very, very Stanley Kubrick type setup in terms of the pacing. Yeah. And the two cameras that... Um, I think there's four cameras, at least four cameras that I saw. Maybe there are more or whatever. But the two cameras that I saw, one of them distinctly has like a red light on, which, you know, means that it's recording. The other camera, I couldn't see a red light. 
You know, maybe it was on like, you know, the side where, you know, but, but I found that interesting. I mean, obviously I think it's recording, but it, it was odd that one camera had a red light and the other camera, because they look almost exactly the same, the same type. It's like Lynch, I think probably created that camera. I don't think that can, you could go into any, you know, Best Buy or anything and find that camera. That's a very Lynchian like camera. Um, but uh, we're also introduced to uh, Tracy, the great Madeline Zima, who uh, we saw in Californication. Uh, I only saw the first two episodes. Oh, yeah, I fell in love with her immediately a long time ago, and she's Smitten, uh, my she's friend. Back. Smitten. Wow. She was, uh, yeah, incredible. So she's back, and she's the latte girl from, uh, I want to say, isn't like she, like the, the insignia on the coffee cup says, it's like the, the letter Z, Z. Cafe. Yeah, the Z Cafe or something. And like she has Z a Z cafes. on her. I think she's still in her uniform under her. Her coat it has a z or whatever but she's there to deliver coffee and i wouldn't say there's a would you say they were flirting oh like, yeah well do you th- i mean she I think was flirting she's, with she's him flirting with him and he's like a i think he's a geek and probably a little bit surprised that she's into him right because and so that's what it seems like and she looks like she has some motives as to wanting to get into this room and that's what they're implying and he's very mysterious saying that no one can be loud and and then eventually uh, later in the episode, he gets in. She gets in because everyone's mysteriously gone, which makes me wonder how is that possible? Were they purposefully gone to allow her to come in and uh, view what was really gone? And then he gives her the the whole lowdown on what the story is, which you've alluded to earlier. Um, but he did give us a little a little bit that you know, you know, they, he hasn't seen anything in the box, but that somebody that used to work there did or did right. once. And but he, he would tell him. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, tell he once. didn't elaborate. Um, well, Tracy, when we first meet her, she is, you know, she, there is that like little flirtation going on, but I always took it that, especially, you know, as the, as the scene un, unfolded, that she wanted to get in that room somehow, because when he was punching in the code, um, she was kind of, you know, she looked over like his shoulder or whatever to try to look at the numbers. And then he goes, you're a bad girl, Tracy. And then she says, try me, which is a great line or whatever. Like but then the, the next night when like she comes back. Sense. That security guard is gone. So I don't think it is an accident. Like how now we know how that scene unfolds, right? So she gets in there. He explains. Sam explains that you know so he heard some anonymous billionaire owns the building, um, and there was a predecessor that you know saw something, but he doesn't know what it is. And they just sit down and they they it's like a they it's like a they it's like a Netflix and chill, right? It's like a glass box and chill. They're just drinking their coffee and watching the glass box and then they start getting it on and as soon as that happens as soon as it it turns sexual that's when we get something within the glass box so i think that's that's relevant somehow so i i'm not saying that this anonymous billionaire is pulling the strings so to speak but it would sure like you know you would think that that whoever got had this set up that there's a reason for this and maybe like sex is some kind of agitator of some sort to bring the box monster in or whatever. I don't think it was just random that it showed up just when they're, other than, okay, it's a horror trope, right? You know, two kids, they start getting it on, they're distracted, and the psycho killer, that's when he makes his move or whatever. But that just seems like, you know, it's been done a million times. I think there might be something to the fact that we didn't see the, the, the monster in the box until they started having sex. What do you think? Well, think of this the way, like, you know, they probably couldn't uh, hire human beings to come in and be guinea pigs in front of this monster that shows up every once in a while when people have sex and eats their heads off. 
right? So what you have right. to do is trick uh, somebody and have some, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you don't get sued or arrested. And you just hire a bunch of really horny college students. And the horny college students come in, and then you let the security guard uh, go on break for a couple hours when he, you can tell he's flirting got, you know, with a, the girl down the way. Or maybe even plant the girl and bring her up there yourself. But you, right. you let it happen on your own. Um, and then you can say, I didn't, what happened? But that, that, I think that's a distinct possibility. It's an interesting, I hope we come back to that and we get some sort of I do answers. too, because I mean, I really think that she wasn't just there out of curiosity, like what's in that room and would give herself Well, you up. and I think that because we can't believe that she would be into a guy like this <laughs> right. Elijah Wood looking motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. obviously she is. And so we need to get over that. All right. Oh, well, I think I'll ponder this for a long time, my friend. Um, well, talk about what we saw when uh, they started to copulate. We saw something I've never seen on Twin Peaks before. Yeah, I mean, a very like Francis Bacon-esque monster of some sort that had maybe kind of vacillated between male and female torso with this head that didn't seem to have any, like had one orifice and it was like the orifice was in the middle of, of, of the face. The center of its face and it was of kind of... It jabbering and jawing kind of like a bobby i i i, I kind of a little bit you know and it yeah. was really f- taking different shapes and forms we were thinking or is it trying to take the shape of uh, what he, what it's seeing in front of them like a woman a naked woman a nude woman in a nude male form because it kept vacillating uh right but eventually it just get you know they it catches the eye of the two lovers and they stop and they just are frozen and uh slowly this thing really comes into shape and gets pissed off and then what happens it, it breaks through the glass box and just goes right for the two well, it lovers. it kind of bangs on it a few times, actually. It does, yeah. And it, it freezes does. Madeline Zima and Elijah Wood. And <laughs> at that point, I would have been out the door real fast. I know, but they right? obviously thought that the glass was impenetrable because they thought it was they were watching a TV show, perhaps. Maybe they were watching a Netflix horror movie. But that fucker came out and ate their heads off. And uh, in a really artistic, bizarre, like a cloud of evil, you know, that came and just devoured them. Um, as they were just frozen, it was like a it was like an art a moving art piece, a moving painting. Almost. Right, I, I, I mean, the 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 actual like death scene. It just seemed like um, on the left hand side of the screen, like the box monster was this kind of black cloud of some sort, and uh, and then we saw the the two lovers getting just you know decimated, torn, ripped to shreds, and the blood you know just. You'd see, like, it's a spray gun, obviously, like, offset or whatever. Just, like, you know, just gallons of blood. I, very effective. The sound design, you know. It, well, the blood, like, the, the, the blood almost was, like, splattered like a Jackson Pollock. It was even artistically, the blood was right, artistically right. splattered on them. So it was and the payoff was, it, it was great terrifying. because of the, the setup. The sound design the was, was terrifying as well. Right. It's just, that's Lynch at, you know, he's still, you know, 70 years old. I think he's, like, 71 now. But he's still at, you know, his peak. He can still... I mean, I've always said that he is one of the greatest like horror directors um, of all time. But he yeah, has why never is it done... people don't think of him as a horror director? Well, because I mean, his horror is tinged with you know abstractions. He's never done like a straight Rosemary's Baby or he's like no, neo noir surrealist horror. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think Lost Highway Comedy. is pretty close to a horror film. I mean, it's so bleak and dark, but it doesn't have like you know the Psycho Killer. 
you know, stalking his young prey. Yeah, it's super stylized and you right, know, super stuff. stylized, and, and and a lot of the action or the the horror is implied, and it's off the edges of the screen, and it's in the sound design. I mean, that's why Lynch is bar none like the master, in my opinion, master filmmaker of of you know of our time. He's able to do something as simple as the straight story, like quite effectively, and to do something completely abstract. And uh, he he's just done it all. I mean, he's done sci-fi. He's done a period piece. So so he really is a master. And this this scene itself, the glass box scene, I thought um, was a, 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 a tremendous setup with an even better payoff. Yeah, I mean, it was my favorite scene of the first episode or the first hour, I suppose. Uh, and then we move on to uh, Buckhorn. Well, we have a couple of things. Okay. We, I mean, we focused in on New York, but we did have that brief scene of uh, Ben and Jerry at the Great Northern. Oh, I forgot about that. That's yeah. right. We get to yeah, we finally see that. Ben and Jerry again, and Ben is the same old Ben, and Jerry is uh, super high. He's <laughs> not the same old Jerry. No, you know, he's a complete stoner. He's been torn with the dead, for, and now he's got his own <laughs> pot farm, and uh, he comes in with a you know a, a spreadable jam that's highly potent hybrid that he uh, uses for creative sojourns of a solitary nature and really and then Ben just goes is that, is that mother's hat and that's the end right. of the scene <laughs> so that's really well, all you see you get to see Beverly who's Ashley Judd her assistant briefly right. there's a mention of a, a wealthy New York person staying in the spa so that's the tie in to New York scene that we uh, possibly see, right see. maybe um, but that's really all we get from them but it was nice to see yeah I find it interesting that they would choose that point to you know introduce us again to Ben and Jerry um, right in between, I think it's right after um, the setup of the the first New York scene, and then we go right to the Great Northern. So it's like okay, so New York, and then there's the the Great Northern. We mentioned the New York, but it's like why are we seeing? And because we don't see Ben and Jerry for quite some time after that, there's no callback in later in this episode or even the second episode. We don't actually get to see Ben Horn until the seventh episode. We have a brief scene of Jerry watching uh, Jacoby's rant. Um, in the woods while he's smoking a joint. But uh, we also get a quick scene at the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department. Uh, another similar scene to the Great Northern in the sense that, okay, we're introduced to Lucy again. She's still the receptionist. And some insurance agent comes in and asks to see Sheriff Truman. And she tells him and the audience that Sheriff Truman, which one? You know, one is sick and one is fishing. So, okay, that we got, okay, so we know, okay, now there's going to be two Sheriff Trumans. Um, one, probably we're not going to see Sheriff Harris Truman. Sheriff Frank Truman, his brother, we will see or whatever. But I just why did they put that scene there? And for me also, it was like the, both the Great Northern scene and this the scene with Lucy at, at the station, back to back, no music, you know, and, and kind of like drawn out scenes. Um, so not only is it not it, like we're, we're still trying to like get a sense of what's going on here, we're in these scenes and for me at least I'm not completely into the scene because I can't determine any kind of relevancy I don't really find it too interesting I find the Ben and Jerry scene interesting just because I love Ben and Jerry but the Lucy scene especially just seemed like why is this in there I would think like cut 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 but in my opinion well it was just there to uh, show that we have two Trumans now that's right? it so we had to have a three minute scene of a guy with an insurance well card. everything you have a three minute scene for anything in this, well, that's in true. this show as we see a seven minute scene you know that was the, that's what was the hard thing to adjust to was the pacing and to realize you know that we don't have to uh, see major plot uh, turns, uh, you know, every two minutes. This is he's teaching us how to watch the show. But on first viewing, I think it's right? 
it's, it's first little... thing was jarring as you, you love to say that word. I thought it was very jarring, but it also was very Lynch, but it wasn't particularly compelling for a few, like some of these scenes I was like, meh, like when we get it, we get introduced into after those scenes introduced into Buckhorn, you know, we get the, the woman with the chihuahua walking down. Oh, we get Mr. C before that. Well, yeah. Oh, so geez, I, I was going to say, that was one of the things that I was going to say about the Lucy scene. Um, it, it's especially preceding that the Ben and Jerry scene is that, because of the pacing, the jarring, I'll use that word, um, we have probably about seven minutes of screen time back to back where not a lot happens. It's not too funny. Obviously, there's not really any kind of unique mood um, set in these two scenes. But then all of a sudden, as soon as that Lucy scene ends, bam, we have that 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 heavy drum beat and that slow, like you know, slow down song with these the POV of the of this car headlights. You know, driving through the woods, and it's basically our introduction to Mr. C. And so, for me, like now looking back on it, you know, knowing what's happening or whatever, I can, you know, I'm I'm okay with these scenes now because this Mr. C scene, it's just, it, it's just, it takes me, it goes from like zero to sixty in my opinion, like right off the bat. You know, it's like okay, ding. And I just think this is Lynch's style. If you look at the missing pieces, if anyone has seen the missing pieces. That was uh, released with the the Blu-ray of uh, Fire or the whole series included Fire Walk with Me. You will see a lot of those missing pieces, those scenes which were shot in the early '90s or like '92 or whatever '91, '92. Um, you'll see those scenes. Lynch edited them recently. He was editing them while he was you know collaborating collaborating with Frost on this new iteration. And these scenes are like to a you know to a fault, almost exactly paced. Like this Ben and Jerry scene at the Great Northern, this Lucy scene, and any number of scenes. No music, like, you know, no camera movement, just letting, like, empty spaces, like, just letting people breathe, letting the scene breathe. I think this is where he's evolved as an artist. So, you know, I don't want to belabor this or whatever. Let's get into Mr. C. But I just wanted to make that note is that a lot of people, I think, are, had a, a, a little trouble getting into this first episode because I think it was so jarring. It, I mean, it's a little comparable to Hotel Room. You know, if you want if you really, I mean, not okay, let's say <laughs> bad like Hotel Room. But remember watching Hotel Room? It was like, is anything no, going to happen out, in blo- this I've room? I blocked out that entire experience. I have no, absolutely yeah. no idea what goes on in that yeah. show because it was so bad. So I, I'm going too far into like aesthetics or whatever. We want to focus in on the actual story. But um, So tell me what your first impressions were uh, uh, upon seeing that, that scene where we're introduced to Mr. C. I didn't like it. <laughs> I still don't like it that much. You don't if like it? No. Are you serious? I, no, still? No, because no. it just seems like I was like, I started laughing when I saw Mr. C. I loved, obviously, the crawl in, and the music was awesome. I was like, who is this badass? I can't wait to see this dude. And then out comes Mr. C looking like Nicolas Cage, looking like Tom Sizemore. I don't know what the fuck he's looking like. Michael Madsen, but right? I had not at that time been able to see the fine work of Kyle McLaughlin uh, in this return. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to buy Kyle McLaughlin as an evil killer like this. It's completely ridiculous. And then he goes in and punches people in the face and all that stuff. And Beulah, like all that coming out. And then Ray comes out and he's supposed to be scary. And that guy's face is the most comical, hilarious thing I've seen in the last 20 years. And the first many times I've watched that show or the first episode, I've just got to laugh every time I see his face. So the whole thing I wasn't buying into it. I was buying into this is like, I was like, is this like another convenience store they're going to show us here? And it just, I was just not taken by it i thought it was funny and i uh i feel bad to say that because now looking back on it i give it a lot more weight and uh i think it's a solid scene but you know you got to give 
the audience uh, a little uh, credit or a little leeway because, man, how would we know that Kyle McLaughlin is able to do what he's done uh, in the first seven episodes to make us show that we were idiots for thinking that he couldn't or he didn't have it in him? Because he does. But at that time, I, uh, I laughed. I was sold immediately. Like, I mean, it was a little, you know, um, uh, I would say distracting to see him that first impression. But did he have to wear the snake skin? Like, did he have to look like, uh, you know, say, I mean, why did they go for that stylistic? Yeah, would, you, would you rather him be like in, uh, in denim again? You know, I would kind of like to have him when he did, when he guest hosted Saturday Night Live in 92, I'd like to, when he did the guest uh, appearance on Sprockets. Yeah, I think I would like <laughs> a more modern Sprockets killer, like a postmodern punk mohawks tattooed something different uh but now looking back that's that's, just, that's a hilarious quibble i think it's great and i've bought into it and now we just watched the end of uh, the seventh episode and he's terrifying he's he's had some absolutely um even not wouldn't say on par with bob but really great like on par with leland for damn sure um yeah. and really good so right. i'm sorry kyle mclaughlin ever doubted you now, I, I was sold on that scene, other than it was a little, you know, jarring seeing, you know, him as, you know, Nicolas Cage slash Michael Madsen or whatever. But I, I loved just the, the tone of that scene. I loved, you know, th- these strange characters. I loved Otis. I would love to see more Otis. I loved his Mr. C. Mr. C. Drinking that moonshine. He just had this kind of like that mustache. I just, and who was that, that those two people in the background? It was like a, a, a little person in a wheelchair. Yeah, and didn't much care. It just seemed like another retread of the same mutant <laughs> freak fest that we see in every one of his shows. I was like, yeah, another, another batch of weirdos. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Move on. It was beautifully shot. Um, but, it was, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't, I wasn't, a be, you loved it. I thought that was, uh, I, I, I did, I did really like that into scene. It. Yeah. And uh, I wish, but it took me it took me a while to get into Mr. C. So he's basically picking up Ray and Daria, and they're heading to Buckhorn. We don't know that yet uh, because we haven't been to Buckhorn, but we do go to Buckhorn right after um, the glass bo- uh, the glass box monster attacks uh, Sam and Tracy. So uh, do you want to talk about like Buckhorn a little bit? I mean, we're introduced to I think is it the um, the bigger lady walking the the small dog down the hallway. That's our first. Yeah, I wouldn't want to spend much time on any of those scenes. I mean, basically, there's a body. I like Chip. uh, What was his name? What was uh, the? uh, uh, So he was talking to Chip. Harvey was the superintendent. What was? uh, I think the actor's name is Max Perlick. He's been in a bunch of things. I kind of liked him. He's like, can can I go now? Can 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 I go? Like after the cops leave, he just it's just he seemed like a a, a complete Lynchian uh, character, and I, I would like to see him again. But that whole. Setup of I was the, looking at my watch the whole time. Just yeah, kind of, the, oh, yeah, look right. At the time right. ticking off the clock. Right, but I can garbage. watch it now, and just like all the other, like the Dougie scenes, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm okay. I remember the first. Uh, you know, when I had to get used to it, and I would watch the first two season uh, episodes again. I would fast forward through the scenes I didn't like. Now I just when I watch it, I just watch it all the way through. So you're right. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever fast forwarded through anything out of respect to the filmmakers. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm not I'm sure kidding. you actually <laughs> follow through on that one in your life. <laughs> so, but Buckhorn, we do have the great payoff of uh, at that crime scene of the headless body, uh, which turns out to be well, we still. Th- I mean, it's got to be Major Briggs, and then the librarian, and then we're introduced to Matthew Lillard, Bill Hastings, and for me, that's where even though that's towards the very end of the first episode or whatever, I felt that it was finding its proper rhythm. I liked Buckhorn. I liked, you know, the cops. I liked, you know, kind of the investigation. I liked the acting. Jane Adams. I like the cop. Yeah, I like it all. As soon as Matthew Lillard is introduced and arrested for murder, 
that's when I really I think the show uh, it got me back. Right, I loved his introduction. He's like, you know, Phyllis answers the door, and you know, and then she says, like, it's Dave, Dave Mackley. And then you see Lillard come around the corner or whatever. Like he had just been watching like, you know, some golf or whatever. He's like, hey, buddy, how you doing? He's like, oh, and then then Mackley goes like, Bill, I'm sorry. I've got to put you under arrest. And just see his face. I mean, he, I mean. Face drops. Face just, he's like, what? I mean, I've done nothing wrong. I mean, he just really goes quite easily too. He's like, like, we're going to have to take you down. I I, tell him what it's about. He's like, all right, I guess I'll just go to jail. I don't really think that. I think he believes that he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, he had that dream, right? Because he says, I had a dream that I was in that apartment. But, you know, I think he believes that, you know, he was never there and he didn't kill Ruth Matthew Gattler. Lillard really has a pickle head. Do you think I have a pickle head? Because people will say I look a lot like him. Well, you're definitely not attractive. You know, the, 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 yeah. I, have a, I don't know pickle head. You don't mug. have a pickle head. Oh, I think he's got a pickle head. So anyway, he gets arrested. Phyllis is. Uh, they look. They look guilty. You know, the pawn first blush. You think Phyllis looks guilty? Yeah, yeah. She definitely looks guilty. She looks like she's up to something for sure. Like she looks like a heartless. Anyway, so well. So we we also haven't spoken about um, after we meet uh, Lillard. We don't get. We haven't talked about the log lady. Or, right. Uh, that was. Nia you Ford. know what? The first time I saw. Okay, so I think. I want to say it was the, an establishing shot, maybe like some trees and then an establishing shot of like a cabin. And then it cuts to the log lady. I, I didn't recognize her. Like the, the and it took you, we were watching it in the same room. I think you went like, Oh, you like, I could feel. And I was like, Oh wait, that's the log lady. I mean, of course she's holding the log, but it's dark. <laughs> that didn't give it away. Well, yeah. I just, I it was think- also a different log. Someone on, on, on Twitter is revealed. Is that. it? It was a I thought log. she kept the original log like all these years. I thought she yeah, kept that. Log. She oh, may have kept okay. it in her house. Well, yeah. I did so see on. I did see someone drew a fan a photo. It was like a pencil a drawing of her on the phone, and she was like in a wheelchair. Was she? Is she in a wheelchair? We in don't this? go below really her see, torso. But the right? guy, whoever drew it, imagined that she was in a wheelchair. The first, it was like a Harvey P. Car type of drawing. And the first time I saw, it, I was like, "Who the fuck is this?" And I was like, "Oh, oh, oh, okay. It was the log lady because it was so." Uh, jarring to see her looking like that it was really sad um and i think lynch treated it really uh respectfully and and sweetly you know having hawk being a really great person to to be gentle with her and be kind and open to her her logs message which right well the message the first message was uh my log has a message for you um, and then she mentions <laughs> later, right? That's it. That's all she That's says. the first message. My log has a message for you. And uh, then uh, it's... Is that so- what it, was that the first time she calls? My log's got a message for you? I'll see well, you yeah, later. she says, my log has a message for you. And then she says, um, something is missing. You've got mail from the log. You have to find it. And uh, it has to do with Agent Cooper and the way that you, know, you will find it, Hawk. Shouldn't they just deputize the log by now? Shouldn't the log have its own office? Like it should be a part of like it should be like the psychic that, that they bring in to try to you know solve unsolvable cases that, at the Twin Peaks Police. Department. Yeah, I mean, why is it? It's, it shouldn't be fringe anymore. I mean, the yeah, log has proven log, itself right. to be worthy of hashtag knowing... deputize the log. Seriously. Right. <laughs> well, so it's it was right. Right. It is. It's never been wrong. At least we've yeah, never seen it be, uh, be wrong. But this really is... I think it we, did have a beef for being Ben Horn at some point. It really wanted to send Ben Horn to jail for murdering Laura. But, but why Ben? What did Ben, did ben ever do I think was Ben so was the original wrong. one that chopped it down probably or something like that. That very well like may a, be true. A scrap yeah. pile of the Great Northern escape somehow. Well, do we have like a backstory fight. of the log? Was it related to her husband who died uh, well, in I a thought fire? You, yeah. Didn't you know something about that? 
Well, it might have been like I yeah. Don't I think thought it was, it was a ever... piece of a log where her husband died from. It was, it was well, he died on their wedding night. I think they got married yeah, and then they were going to go on a honeymoon and then he got called. There was some fire somewhere, forest fire or whatever. And then he died that night, and uh, I don't recall anything. You know, any actual like you know the log lady visiting that site and like being drawn to a piece of wood or whatever. And I like it that way. I like it that it's kind of mysterious, but. I wonder if I think the I, fact that she might be a virgin, the log lady, because she probably was waiting till her wedding night and she, her husband died, so that maybe her virginity has allowed her to be more of a seeker with the log. Oh, that's very good. I've never heard that before. That's a good theory. I just came you up know. with it. Yeah, that's very good. That's very good. Some people speculate that her, her dead husband's spirit is in the log, and that is who I was communicating. Do you think at night she kisses the log like uh, Frau Blucher did in Young Frankenstein when she, when she would kiss the portrait? Of I think of uh, other sordid things, but I'm not going to go into it right, you know, right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a family there. podcast. A family so, podcast. okay, what happened uh, after this? Keep going. Well, that really is the first. That's the end of the first episode, right? Well, it, 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 it actually uh, we, it ends in Buckhorn. It ends with like at the, at the, the Hastings house when uh, they investigate um, his car and trunk, and then they found that piece of flesh which we think might be like the flesh of a dog right because he says wolf doesn't it's a piece of meat it's a piece of meat but doesn't that's he say wolf oh, is that what he, he does say said? wolf yeah let's just go i think of it as a piece of meat that's what he says right so and then we go right into um it's a clue uh it's well it's a clue but then we also know about the dog leg that was found in in, in mr c's trunk which is tied into warden murphy do we know that uh, in the first episode no, but I'm just you know throwing it out there because why? I mean, we have not okay. So, in in the in the second part, like well, really the first two hours we treat him like you know like kind of a pilot, like a new pilot or whatever. But we stay in Buckhorn and then we see Bill Hastings in, in jail and his wife visits him, and that is a fantastic scene. See, oh, I think, that's such a good scene. I mean, just like you know, kind of like this this tete a tete of you know like you know I know about you. You know, she knows that he's been fucking around with the librarian and then he goes well I know about you and maybe someone else and maybe that someone else is Mr. C because when Mr. C shows up and and plugs her in the eye no less she's like well, what are you doing here she knows him so she's had some dealings with him and, well he also uh, says you you uh, like what did he say about her he goes you, you've done good and then he goes you follow human nature perfectly what does that mean I don't know it kind of it doesn't kind of allude to that that means that she's, she's not, not human, human? Right. And then there's that thing that you mentioned in a previous podcast where when he shoots her, Lynch does this kind of little, I don't want to say it's a camera trick, but there's this kind of... It's little a camera ex- trick. It's a camera trick. Where it looks like something's like escaping like her body or there's two of her... There's some quick little camera trick flash or whatever. It looks like when you get stunned unnatural. on Star Trek. That's what it looks like. It's a little swizzle uh, camera flourish, which is weird, which makes me wonder. And she gets shot through the eye as well, just yeah. like the first woman, Ruth Davenport. And I'm wondering if uh, if she's human. That's that's one thing that came away from that that experience. Well, yeah, I don't. But we have not in in you know subsequent episodes. We have been back to Buckhorn, but we have had no mention of Phyllis or Bill Hastings. And, you know, you would think that if her husband, Phyllis's husband, you know, Bill is in jail and, you know, that eventually they're going to come across her, her corpse, that that might be relevant to their investigation. You would yeah, think. Yeah, you'd think so. Well, but I think we, they will get back to it eventually. I but, hope uh, so. Yeah. We can talk about I mean, I, th- I love the, the scene you're talking about between uh, Bill and Phyllis. Uh, it reminded me a little of um, 
Mark Frost, uh, his writing in season one, would, they would have the tete-a-tetes between, you know, Josie and Hank or Ben and Catherine. It was like the, you know, the one-upsmanship. That was a, it was a good Twin Peaksian uh, feeling there. Yeah, that's a great, uh, that's a good mention of that because it did. I didn't think about that, but I, I think about that Ben and Josie scene. Matthew Lillard does a great job. He really, God. I've never seen him act so well. And uh, he's just fucked and he really shows it. <laughs> and it's completely believable. And then we um, go. Do you want to talk about what we see right after when he's oh like, my oh god. my god. Yeah, yeah. it's the well, first big he says, holy yeah. fucking shit moment. Yeah, he goes, oh my god. And he's just got his head in his hands. And then you pan slowly over. We start to get the creepy Lynch sound design. And we come to like a third cell away. And there is this creepy, blackened, charcoal, sooty type uh, <laughs> logger who resembles maybe like a Lewis and Clark pioneer, but not really. And his eyes are just bulging, frozen, staring at us like he's dead, like he's, you know, been eviscerated in some volcanic eruption almost. And then uh, he just dissolves and his head floats up and then dissolves as well. Like what in the ever loving fuck was that? Right. I, I, and I have no idea, but it was as pure. It like, was great though. Perfection. It was scary I mean, as shit. Right. Um, I would it, say, what uh, was I, scarier for you, the box monster or Mr. City thus far? Um, I, I want to say, like, uh, I would say the box monster just because it, there's there's a little bit more to it. I, you generally like the... See, I know, would think City, though, because I think I even said that. I like the City because City was a weird Lynchian fear. Like, the other one was a typical... It wasn't typical, but at least it was, you know, a, a monster eating someone. The other well, one the one scariest like, scene in the entire series so far, in my opinion, is uh, uh, at the uh, morgue where we see the uh, return of Sooty, right? When the Lieutenant, Lieutenant Knox is talking to... Oh, Brent yeah, Davis. way down in episode That, seven, I think, yeah. trumps Box Monster and the jail cell. But you know what? I've been watching... I've seen... I don't want to digress too much here, but I've watched part seven five times now. <laughs> is, that a, is that a reference to Clue, my friend? <laughs> Colonel Mustard, yeah. Yes. Uh, um, so I've watched part seven five times, and... You know, okay. Obviously, you know a similar charcoal volcanic. It was a great you know word, a, a sooty look to this. But he seems bulkier, and on closer inspection, he's wearing a jacket now, right? I think there's a jacket, and the hats don't match up. Yeah, the hats are different. The, it's a different. So is outfit. it the same, or is it a new? Well, that's what I was thinking. Like somehow, is he like the human uh, host of sooty? Is sooty with it? like? Why did we think that was sooty? Is because it's not. Well, because right? it's, it's uh, well, I, I mean, we don't know, but now I, I immediately thought yes, but now I have serious doubts. I do. Oh, I'm not sure it was the same actor. I looked a little different. And it's the it same thing, like not listed yeah. in the credits again. So weird. Question mark, question yeah. mark. Okay, so what happens after uh, we go to Buckhorn? And, uh, so, I guess we've already gotten after, Phyllis getting shot, right? So that, that's yeah, we get scene. Phyllis, and then that we then we have our first scene in Las Vegas where we're introduced. to... Wait, before we go, before we go to Vegas, I think I want to say that like Mr. C finally started to win me over when he shot Phyllis because I love the way he acted in that scene. He was fucking scary, and I was like, okay, this is gonna be this is not gonna be a, a, a joke. And I think he sold me on that scene right there. Well, that was his. Wasn't that just only his second scene? So it just took you one more yeah. scene. To yeah, really one more kinda, scene. It's all took. One more scene. Okay. <laughs> Good. No, you're right. It was like he was in and the no shadows. Ray. Ray was not in the scene. Then I will not laugh. Yeah. But we're going to come to that because we're going to. <laughs> well, we're going to Vegas first, and we have a brief scene. But I think it's very, uh, very relevant uh, to future plot developments. Is we're introduced to Patrick Fishler's character, Duncan Todd, who uh, who hands uh, you know, some major bucks over to um, his underling and tells his underling that you know she has the job, and. Uh, 
we think that now may be the warrior, Lorraine, who was hired to uh, take out Dougie. But there's an interesting uh, uh, added element to that scene where uh, the underling uh, says, why do you why do you let him you know, make you do these things? Uh, do you do you, do we think that's Mr. C? Do we think that's the billionaire? Do we think that's Philip Jeffries? Do you have any thoughts? Uh, on well, that? we've talked about this on a bunch of other episodes, so I think. Oh, that, uh, okay. Let's yeah, get we're rehashing it. Um, you know, I think we can leave it open right now because okay. we, if you want to hear about our theories on that one, just can you check out other episodes because uh, I think that was a well well covered topic. Well, then we go right to the. Um, I think then we transition to that train. Uh, you know, at the, uh, the uh, railroad tracks, you know, where the train just passes by, which is a great little train. Oh, I love that scene. Yeah. Great, great scene. And then... Was there the, a spotlight? Did he put a spotlight on the train? Well, there had to be some light because it was in darkness, right? So he had to put some light on yeah. it. But I don't think it was but like it wasn't a, like a... Like, you know, it wasn't a spot at all? It wasn't... Are you talking about like a spotlight Lodge. when like... Bob was yeah, killing like, Maddie. Yeah, like they did the little and, tiny spot in episode seven when when Dougie goes Cobra and they wanted to show the all the, uh, the, right. the singed skin on the... There was a little mini spotlight that he was putting on everything uh, in the crime scene. Right. I was wondering if he put the spot on the... I don't think so, here. but um, no, I just thought it was just lit that way to show when the train passed because it was in darkness that you, know, you could see part of the train passing. But we go to the diner and we have this really good scene with... Uh, Mr. C, Ray, Daria, and Jack, and I mean, how do you? I mean, this is a, this is Ray's first real kind of like dialogue scene. So I liked it. No, I was bought in at this point, and uh, and I loved. Uh, I liked the way they interacted. I loved uh, Cooper's sto- stoicness. You know, not fa- taking the bait like the smartass Ray fucker. Like, yeah, you need the information. I give you the information. It's funny that uh, you, need, you need the information from me. Uh, you know, so you need something from me. Huh? And so uh, he goes, uh, Ray, I don't, I don't need. I want. Let's get that clear right now. And he gives it a, a whole little speech there would put me in my seat. And uh, so, yeah, I was built. And what was he eating? Uh, Garmin Bozia. Gar- he was eating cream corn. Did anyone else notice that? Um, so, yeah, that, that was a great scene. All right. That was a fantastic scene, I thought, because I like the way that Daria, who I don't think had any dialogue. She in had that no scene, lines. But the way that she would just kind of look between she would she was mostly staring at Ray but then she would look at Mr. C every so often. Well, see, yeah, that's on a, see, that's my nitpicking. Like, there's a lot of that. Right. There's a lot of that going on throughout the entire season, you know, <laughs> till episode seven when we start getting some really strong female characters. But that reminds oh. me of like Tam, like Tamra Preston. Half of her screen time is just looking in silence, reacting to Lynch or someone else. And so Daria was just she spent a lot of time. Well, what's the one looking. thing we know? Like, we know that you know, let's not judge until like you know we've seen it all. Obviously, we we can you know critique certain things or whatever. And I think there's some valid criticisms or whatever. I think Tammy Preston very well may be one of the, my biggest criticisms because I think she's going to have a more, you know, uh, you know, kind of a heavier role, like a more pronounced role. And I just don't think she has the chops for it. But at the same time, I will reserve judgment until the, you know, till the season is over to the 18 hours are up. But, yep. So uh, uh, after uh, that scene, where do we go? Well, we go back to, this is a very curious uh, decision by Lynch to add this scene right here is we go back to the log lady and this is where she says the stars turn and a time presents itself while Hawk she she calls Hawk and Hawk is actually in the woods nearing Glastonbury Grove and um, he winds up you know uh, coming to the very famous you know scene of Glastonbury Grove the sycamore where trees. we have the sycamore trees the and, scorched engine you know, oil pool yeah, we see the red curtains, right? And we and think we see he the, sees yeah, the red we curtains. See, he sees the curtains, yeah. Right. And um, But he doesn't go in. Well, see, I... Does he? I'm still a little, you know... So, 
this could go on and on and on, but um, I, I still believe that that's not like linear. I think this scene might be, um, uh, uh, I don't say foreshadowing, but it, it, it's a time jump. It takes place in a future episode. I don't think we've well, seen the last of the Long Lady just... either. I mean, I don't. Oh, yeah, I would hope not. But right. I think you're right that this is a curious scene and placement because he doesn't tell anybody in subsequent scenes that he just was out there and saw the Red Room and holy shit, he didn't say anything. Right. He acts like it doesn't happen. So that's right. Because the next time we cool. see him, it's like you know they're back. I think it's is it about the bunny? I think it's that scene. You know, so they're back looking at the evidence. But yeah, that's our next scene. But then we go um, right to um, the Black Lodge. We think maybe Hawk is now entered, which would have been very very interesting. But no, we go into the Black Lodge and we see Cooper and uh, and the one armed man who I believe, and I think you believe as well, and I think we've talked about this, is really, you know, uh, replacing the man from another place. I think that this would have been his role because the first thing he tells him, is it future or is it past? Which is exactly what he said in Firewalk With Me. Is it future or is it past? Um, I liked it. I think he does a great job. I think that in a way, if it had stayed the Michael J. Anderson, the little man, that it would have become kind of like a cliche, you know? Like to keep, I'm like... Yeah, I mean, maybe that's reductive or you know re- revisionist thinking, but um, I am glad that the, I think that the one-armed man serves a, a great role and he's doing a great job replacing uh, the little man. I, I do too, but I do think that um, he's just weird. I, I still I, I never know his alliances. I just don't like the fact that we had the one-armed man for just that one scene in the end of Firewalk with me in the lodge and uh, with the little man, and they spoke in unison, and to have him there now lynch has done you know a masterful job of creating the evolution of the arm which is like okay you know like he, when he's backed in a corner you know um you know necessity is the mother of, of invention as he said so i, I do like that um I although just, i did laugh when i first saw the evolution oh, of the arm too, the right? laughed very loud right. and was like what in well. the fuck but you know okay well i want to see the one our man in the real world i because um I think he's more interesting in the real world because, you know, he's unless, you know, Mike, the spirit of Mike has left him. I like that, you know, we never knew, you know, his allegiance, you know, because he did some very good things. And I think he did some very suspicious things or whatever. And I like that kind of duality with his character. Now him being in the lodge, he seems to be just, you know, the helper. You know, um, as was the the one our man or the, the, the man from another place. But we know that the man from another place, now the evolution of the arm, has a doppelganger. Does the one-armed man have a doppelganger? And if that doppelganger exists, is it Mike? So there's all these questions um, within the, the Black Lodge. But moving forward, unless you wanted to add something to that. No, let's keep going. I think is that we have a like, cameo here. Yeah, we do. We have uh, the one-armed man says, someone is coming. I believe that's what he says. And then... Who steps into the uh, Black Lodge but... Laura Palmer. And I Laura. want you... Please tell me because you... I think you expressed this when we talked about it um, initially. Uh, I thought you know, your your points were yeah, spot on. Yeah, um, man, I was really moved by this scene, and uh, I didn't know. First, she looked great, and she sat, she had such emotional eyes, and her eyes told the whole story um, that she, you know, of all the sadness that had happened, and when she goes like, hello, Agent Cooper, it's almost like resigned, and she, could do you remember me? And... And I could see in her eyes, I wasn't sure if she was going to get mad because often she would start screaming in the lodge um, in the original season, but she didn't. And uh, 
it was just, I think it was a beautiful, she talks about how he can go out now, right? Is that this episode, this part of the, the episode where he says Yeah, I that? think the first, it starts off with a callback to the, you know, the iconic, you know, scene um, in episode three where um, she says, like, you know, do you recognize me? And, uh, right, then she says, like, uh, I think, like, you can go out now. Uh, but then well, I think said, before there's a question about who she is, and she right, goes, no, right. I, I know Laura Palmer, but sometimes uh, my arm's been back, and so you know. Well, that's what I was mentioning. She does so. I've got it. Like she says, um, "Do you recognize me?" And then Cooper says, "Are you Laura Palmer?" And uh, she says, um, "I am Laura Palmer." And then he goes, "But Laura Palmer is dead." And then she says, "I am dead, I yet am I dead. live." And then that's yet when she removes I her face live. and. Yeah, wait, that that great. that line was so moving. The way that I think that line is a huge important clue to the rest of the season that she is dead yet she lives, and the way she says that uh, was really moving and touching to me, and curious as well as to what what she really means by that. Um, because then she goes over right. She, does she remove her face there? She removes yeah, right, her face right after she says, "Yet I live." Um, I believe she removes her face, and that's when you know we see it's like this we see powerful a glowing light. white light inside yeah, of her. coming out of her face. And it was a very like uh, precise CGI. They've had some really clunky stuff going on in some of the parts <laughs> of the show, but this one was well. I mean, people thought it was horrible, but some people thought it was because I love I love the way she was able to take it off and put it back on in a very seamless, almost like a like an Apple product, <laughs> being able to put her <laughs> face back on. That I thought was really nice and elegant. I agree, and I think it's 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 a very uh, important line and it was done so well with so much emotional weight when she says i it am dead like it, yet yeah, I, live. I live i mean but I, she goes to almost like yet i live like she's she talks like she's in a bergman movie like an ingmar bergman movie which uh the swedish kind of incantations you know which makes it even more like a foreign film you know to watch her, uh, her in the black lodge do her thing well out of all the people in the lodge who are speaking backwards i think hers seem either a little rushed or not as detail oriented. They just like some of her intonations with, uh, don't really sound like the actual words. Now I don't know if that's done on purpose or not. Um, I certainly don't have a problem with it. It's very hard to speak backwards and, and act backwards and everything like that. But if you notice when, you know, Renette or the American girl was in the purple room, I mean, that is, I mean, she enunciated, I mean, it's like, it's perfectly, but Laura would say something like some words like recognize and even like, and it, it didn't sound like those words. And I have no problem with that. Um, It's like I said, it could be an artistic choice. It could just be, it was very difficult to do. I don't know. But um, I, I just think that scene with her saying, yet I live, and then going over to Cooper after he says, like, you know, when can I leave? She walks over to him, kisses him, just like in, you know, the first series, and whispers in his ear. And he seems to have a similar reaction, like kind of like a bemusement, just briefly before. Almost like a flirtation, and Laura right. smiling, flirtating, right. flirting with her as she's leaning in. Right. But I think whatever she's now whispering to him, and I'm certain that it's not my father killed me, that um, he understands the uh, the gravity of whatever she's saying because he actually like kind of utters. He's like, yeah, he's like terrified, terrified, and looks at her, and then she steps away, and then she looks up, and then he looks up, and it's always that great mystery. What is the you know the yeah? Top what does the ceiling of the red room look like? Yeah, in the lodge? that's 
great. What's the roof but, look like? But know. then she gets like you know pulled away. Yeah, suddenly and, she gets sucked up into like like the Wizard of Oz, sucked up by a twister or something, screaming <gasps> close ups on her face. You know, and, and and you know Laura Cheryl Lee. Oh, we've ta- I've talked about this before, but that's the first <laughs> thing I thought was poor Cheryl Lee. We really had a good scene going there where she right. wasn't going to have to scream or be tortured or murdered or raped. And at the end, <laughs> throw it in where she has to scream and rape. You get sucked up into hell, which I guess right. I would think you'd be sucked down into hell, but she is sucked up into somewhere. Well, um, do you think that, um, okay, so whoever the, the lodge, like machinations or whatever, whoever is like, you know, the god of the lodge or who's making the rules or whatever, do you think that she broke a rule by telling Agent Cooper that he could go now uh, to leave now and whispered uh, to him? Or do you think that was kind of random? What are your thoughts on that? That's a good question. Like, did, did, has the, didn't the one-armed man or the, the arm or someone tell him that he could go out as well? Well, no, I mean, after, afterwards, right? So, um, yes, afterwards now, but after so that So why, why do they got to punish Laura? Why do they got to punish the woman for doing the well, same I thing think, that the men do? Come on. I think it was done, I, I wouldn't say uh, uh, deliberately on her, but she's fulfilling the prophecy, right? Like she said, I will see you again in 25 years. So very cryptic. We see, I thought for a second, means. like maybe that little snap in the beginning was her putting the 25-year curse on him, and now 25 years is up, and now he can go out. Oh, no, that's. I have to think about that because I really haven't thought much about that other than it being very cryptic. And now, well, think about the idea of Laura coming back in this season because later on, a few minutes later, right, we get to see that Leland is in the lodge as well, and he has one line, which is, "Find Laura," and that's it. So yeah, she's I know. missing. She's gone missing. Again. Well, yeah, I think it's. I, that's what I think. I think that um, we had the fulfillment of the prophecy. Um, 25 years when Laura Palmer and you almost saw this like I don't think Agent Cooper had seen Laura Palmer in the Black Lodge for 25 years now who knows what the time means in that you know lodge obviously he's aged so some time has passed or whatever but he didn't urinate for 25 years he certainly did we get that information right? later on. <laughs> but, uh, but so he sees her again and she now says okay it's it's been fulfilled you can go out now but then she gets sucked up into some kind of vortex i find it interesting that it wasn't it be, el- electrical in any yeah, sense yeah wouldn't it be interesting yeah she wasn't sucked up through any electrical type of portal and right. isn't it interesting that laura dies in real life or she goes missing in real life and Cooper has to investigate, and now she's gone missing in the re- the lodge, and now Cooper has to investigate. Or at least well, it's implied that maybe at some point later down the road he will right. investigate. I think that's where we're going. I think that's. I think that the implication is is that um, she is now she's been sucked out of the lodge. We know that she's imbued with some kind of like divine like light or spirit, and I wouldn't be so shocked. If like her path, even though I don't think we're going to see it unfold like we've seen Dougie, but if she got kind of sucked into a Rancho Rosa like experience or type of like setting or whatever, didn't really know who she was and has spent years like, you know, creating a life or whatever, but not knowing she's Laura Palmer. And uh, eventually she's going to like kind of meet up with Agent Cooper, who's still trying to find his identity identity as Agent Cooper, and they're somehow going to cross paths. Maybe they have to kiss for it to for them to both wake up, <laughs> right? Or maybe a little kind of romantic. You know how my mind thinks; it might go a little <laughs> bit more. But um, and then wind it back up in Twin Peaks. I mean, I, that's where I think we're going. But the the way that the rest of the uh, the Black Lodge scenes unfold, like right after Laura gets sucked up, we see the one armed man again appear. And say the same thing. Is it future is it or is it past? Future? 
for his it past. Right. So, and then at that point, he's like, all right, get the fuck up and let's get out of here. And then that's when we're introduced to the evolution. Wait, who said get the fuck up, let's get out of here? No, that was me saying that. He, but he does his. <laughs> he says that. He says his. He says it. It'd be great if Cooper just said, "Okay, let's get the fuck out of here. Come on!" <laughs> but he says that, and he looks at him, and then he looks away, and like jump cut. The one our man is at the far end of that room at the curtains, and like is like he makes a gesture like to come on, like get the oh, fuck out. Oh yeah, up, let's and then go. they disappear. Yeah. We go off into the astral plane type expanse, off into the distance, and we see no, Troy the no, pony. No, no, well, no, we do. We see, yeah. What we do is we see the curtains kind of blowing and an unseen wind, and then we see um, uh, Troy the pony. This is right before. No, the but what they do appears. is they remove the curtains, and so you see the floor of the red room is like infinite. You know what I'm saying? Into space, right? right? right. And that's what. It, and then you see Troy the pony way the fuck down there. So right. I think what they were implying there might be that you take the curtains away from uh, the the red room, and that that's its own astral plane. You know what I'm saying? Like the, it's oh, not okay. just that room, right? Because we're going to no, see I later don't... in the next episode other astral planes that seem boundless on every angle. Look up, look down. It's like a, their own little universes. Perhaps they're showing us a little peek behind uh, the curtains to show that, that the lodge is this infinite astral plane in, in itself and not just this isolated sequence of rooms. Well, that's an interesting point. I mean, I really, um, we've, all, we've always like, speculated, you know, that, you know, in these 25 years that Cooper probably was, you know, walking around from different rooms and we were hoping that maybe that, you know, we would see more to the Black Lodge than just the iconic, you know, Chevron floor pattern and, and red curtains or whatever. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting point that you make that we because we do see that we see the curtains kind of disappear and we see this infinite. And then we go, we see that it's surrounded by blackness, right? Um, after, yeah. And know, we eventually are, are we getting to the point where um, the, the we're going to see the extension of the arms doppelganger. Like, I'm not sure where that occurs, but we're getting close to that scene. Well, yeah, what we do is, is that um, um, we are introduced to the evolution of the arm. And he says, um, uh, do he's like, I am the arm and I sound like this. And uh, he says, do you remember your doppelganger? Like your. Oh, yeah. Then we get a flashback, right? Oh, shit. Yeah, so we go back. A flashback so, and to yeah, it's almost Cooper like Cooper had forgotten until he had mentioned that, right? How could it, it seemed, because that? there's a close-up on this whole new series is really like light on close-ups, like extreme close. Lynch loves his extreme close-ups. Uh, he's very judicious, judicious when he does it. Um, this is like I would say an extreme close-up, but a a close-up of Agent Cooper right after yeah the recognizing in his eyes oh yeah. shit and then because we I think flash into his head right yeah, we cut to his head and he remembers himself with laughing with Bob with his evil eyes in the final episode of the original series and he tells Agent Cooper right after that he must come back in before you can go out so we have you know we have very you know defined terms here that Cooper won't be able to leave per Laura's instructions until his doppelganger returns. And then that's when we cut to Buckhorn again. And we have that really great little scene of Mr. C with Jack um, after uh, they wired his car and he does his little, he massages his massages face. Massages his face to death. Yeah. <laughs> he, he literally is, massages him into death. And you death. think he's killing him right there. I think he there, kills right? him right there. Yeah. It's a yeah. really uh, bizarre scene, but um I mean, you could argue that he just kind of... I don't know what the fuck he's trying to... But I, it looks like he's killing him because later he goes, I killed him. Like, Jack's dead. Right. So I think that he killed him right there. He's able to just touch people and massage their cheeks for a few seconds and they just freeze and go to, and die immediately. Right. I love that. I love that. That was... Because he was massaging his face for, I it's mean, cool at least a minute, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. It was like great. Mr. C would be an evil, a great evil villain, like in a comic book series, like Mr. C versus Iron Man. Maybe we'll do a spinoff. I'm not a big comic book guy, so I'd rather keep Mr. C in the world of Twin Peaks and not. Well, but he clearly has superpowers. He does being able to do that, be able to massage someone to death very quickly. Um, Um, That was impressive. So we have a transition of a storm brewing, and then we cut to this very long scene of Mr. C and Daria. Would you like to talk? Because I know that Uh, no, because I don't like that scene. I think the scene is horrible. (laughs) I was laughing. I was screaming. I was angry. Even uh, on he, repeat uh, he was a misogynist. No, well, the end of the scene I really love, which we can get to later. But um, uh, he, it's just basically a slow death scene where he's going to murder her. Um, he was there's some illogical uh, tape recording going on that doesn't that doesn't make any sense in terms of him being able to monitor uh, a, a call in real time that was going on wait second or one second before he walked in the door. Um, but you know that's not a problem. But what he does is he kind of like it's kind of I don't like the way uh, this is probably one of the scenes where I started to feel like Lynch was a little uh, you know, extreme in his uh, misogyny towards women and treating her like this piece of meat. And I didn't think really that Dara, Daria had anything to say. She didn't resist. She just held, he just stayed in his arms while he held her in this strange, awkward position while he gave all of his exposition out like an evil villain about what he's, he, and then he had the most laughable line in Twin Peaks so far, <laughs> which is like, they're trying to bring me back into the so-called Black Lodge. But I've got a plan for that. Like something, I was like, what? <laughs> in the fuck? Uh, the, the, I just saw a shark, like Fonzie jumping a shark somewhere in the distance in my mind. And I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. Like, what was that all about? But, you know, kept watching it. He indeed does kill her. Um, the best part about the kill scene was that she, all of Lynch's dead corpse women look always really beautiful. So she looked great when she was shot in the head. It's fetishized. Uh, yeah, he fetishizes it. So that was the second, uh, you know, shot dead woman, or third, that we've seen so far. Um, but the best part of the scene is he goes and washes up a little bit and then he pull, pulls out his uh, his uh, Wyndham Earl uh, briefcase and he's got um, well first he does a little uh, internet search through the FBI uh, database in order to get information about the federal prison that Ray has supposedly been put in um, with some sort of implication that he might be trying to bust into that or get Ray out to get the information that he's been trying to get about some so-called coordinates from Bill Hastings uh, secretary Judy in high school. Betty. Um, yeah, Betty. So, uh, wait, you keep going. I'm, I'm getting tired of talking. <laughs> this is the best scene, though. I'm going to comment up. But it's the Philip Jeffries scene where we have had much discussion, hours, not hours, but probably a full hour discussing this particular coming up scene because he gets a call or he waits for a call from a mysterious person. And he's, it's, he says, I missed you in New York. And they have a short conversation like, oh, you're in Buckhorn. You're supposed to be missing. And so it's Philip Jeffries, uh, the long lost Philip Jeffries, who is uh, was played by David Bowie. Um, And midway through. Oh, I think that the big compelling uh, dialogue is he says, you met with Major Garland Briggs like that was a bad thing. And also that freaks us out because we've been wondering if Major Garland Briggs was the dead body and Buckhorn. And then somehow, like, he goes, who am I? Am I really talking to Philip Jeffries? Who is this? And then the voice changes, and he goes, actually, I just called to say goodbye. You're going back in the lodge tomorrow, and I will be with Bob again. And that's it. And, dude, that really gave us a lot of speculation as to, you know, what the fuck that exactly means. Um, We've gone back and forth, but I think you can take it from here. Well, um, I, I just want to make a couple of comments on the preceding scene with uh, Mr. C and Daria. I, she did try to escape a few times, actually. And he would just 
catch her back Weakly. and throw her. Well, she also said nothing. That's what I'm saying. If you're begging for your life, you're going to beg for your life without saying a word. I'm not sure that really would be happening. She might be screaming. Well, she did. She her. screamed. It was very she unrealistic. Was screaming for one second, she, but that's that's all. Then they punched her once. She's out, and that was just an easy, simple way to do it. I don't want to watch a grotesque, horrible murder anyway. Well, also, so but they... she also was was uh, caught, you know, um, on the tape of saying that she would. Like, because Ray was like, hey, look, Jeffrey's called, and, you know, we've got to take him out. But since I'm in jail, you've got to knock, you know, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to knock him off. Well, and one thing said, he also did was he showed her the card. Talk about that. We forgot. To well, yeah, he that. showed her, like, you know, have you, do you recognize this? This is what I want. And it's this ace of spades, and it has this just symbol on it and, and we don't know what it is. It, I mean, you think it's a, what? A, a, it looks a, like a dog, a black dog's a dog. ears or maybe the owl uh, design from the, the owl cave. Yeah, possibly. I still think it, you know, is more to do with an ant, but that's just, you know, I've got my little theory on that, but that, because it's really interesting when he, he, he brings out the card, Lynch kind of cues up this little, little subtle, you know, menacing, kind of bizarre, surreal sound design that lasts maybe about seven seconds, and it's really, really, really eerie, and it's very, very subtle. Because um, I think it, there's a great importance. Now, I don't think we're going to get some grand answer of what that card means, but I think it'll be tied into whatever the end game is for Mister C. But um, I didn't really have as much of a problem with the the, the Mister C Daria scene. I thought it was very, I thought it was drawn out. You know, initially when I first saw it, I was like, all right, come on, let's get to it. But I didn't have a problem with the the you know, perceived misogyny and her trying to escape and whatnot. But getting back to, to Jeffries is that, you know, um, I don't want to go into something I've talked about numerous times here or whatever, but I really think that the key line in that whole dialogue is, I will be with Bob again. Um, because, you know, that we don't know, you know, uh, anyone other than uh, Mike, the spirit Mike, who was killing with Bob, you know, back in the day before he saw the face of God and cut off his arm, and Leland, who was possessed by Bob. And um, I, I'm pretty certain that it's not Leland, but that would be interesting if Leland was somehow like Laura drawn back out into the real world and uh, is somehow in cahoots with Mr. C. I don't think that's it at all, but it certainly would be interesting. But I, I, that line it just reverberated, you know, uh, for me and has so many endless possibilities. And the fact that it was Philip Jeffries, or we think it was, or, or we think it was Philip Jeffries, but Mr. C starts to doubt that. And you have a theory, which you've mentioned as well, that you think it might be Albert on the other It line. sounds like, that's the only reason, because it sounds like Albert to me. And uh, no one else agrees with me. I think a few people did, I actually heard about it on Twitter. So obviously some people, uh, I'm not the only one, but he sounds like Albert whenever the guy comes in and goes, actually, I just called to say goodbye. And then, you know, the last line, but uh, that would also, you know, open up a whole new like speculation as to you know whether Albert or Cole or someone in the FBI had been corrupted been on the, being on the Blue Rose beat for 20-30 years it does seem like you would have an opportunity look at like look at Cooper look at uh, Jeffries they both were corrupted on the case you know it's like uh, Serpico or something like you know you do enough uh, undercover uh, vice work you're going to eventually become a cocaine addict so be, uh, <laughs> and we know what happened well we don't want to know what happened but we know we know something happened to Excuse me, Chet Desmond, another special. Yeah, so Chet Desmond as well. So the the, the FBI, I think that's a distinct possibility. Um, But that that saved us. That was a great moment, and I think that was that really wowed me. Um, It really did, and and they've kind of followed through with it a little bit. You know, obviously we've gotten more with Major Briggs and Jeffries. The you know insinuation is is that Jeffries is either that black box in Buenos Aires or is in Buenos Aires or somewhere. 
Uh, we also have another. Or he's David Bowie. Or he's David Bowie. We also have a reference to South America with uh, Rio when uh, Mr. C was caught like opposing for his greatest hits album. In episode um, seven. In episode seven. But um, yes, that's a fantastic scene. And then he goes afterwards, right after uh, he uh, finishes up his conversation and downloads that information for the prison that he winds up uh, being incarcerated at. He goes next door and uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's character, Chantal, is this cleaner and she has a husband named Hutch. And uh, other than the great line like, oh, you're nice and wet. But uh, that he says that well, she's like outstretched. Oh, now that I will, I will give you, I will give that, you that. that that's a little charming. poor taste or whatever. I still I like the line, but um, he does. I think it's important that he mentions. Uh, he says to Chantal, like, get word to Hutch, her husband. Now he's gonna he's gonna fuck her, you know, Hutch's wife, you know, right there. But that's okay. That's neither here nor there. But. Um, he's going to need them in a couple of days. I found that very interesting because when he's talking to Ray and Daria at the diner, he basically is saying that um, he's not he's going to be gone you know in a couple of days. He's going to be need, he needs to work by himself. but that isn't necessarily true. So I think now after episode seven that we just saw now that he's out, whatever information he gets from Ray, he's going to meet back up with Chantal and her husband. we're going we're going to see who he is Hutch. And you know the, their plot is going to you know go off on whatever whatever tangent. But then okay, so that's the, we've got you know that scene it ends, and then we go right back into the uh, Black Lodge. And it was almost like it was very interesting that shot. Um, it, it cuts right back to Co- that close up of Cooper and the evolution of the arm. And it was almost like he was seeing that scene that we just saw unfold. Um, it, that's how I took it. Um, like, do you remember your doppelganger? And we, we saw that flashback. But what if somehow he was able to see, you know, the scene that we saw in real time? So that that's a little, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's entirely that's true. But um, I did kind of get that feeling. So, and this is when all hell breaks loose because um, the arm basically gives him a series of numbers, 253, uh, which we are soon to find out is an actual time where um, I believe, and I, I believe you believe as well, that um, the, the transference is supposed to happen, that uh, Cooper's supposed to go out and Mr. C is supposed to come back in at that 253. So the one-armed man leads him out in the hallway, but that's when things start getting really bizarre. Lynch goes into some slow motion, um, and then he goes into normal speed, but Cooper can't get into the next room. It's like blocked. So whatever like you know path of getting out has now been blocked. And then when we cut back to the evolution of the arm, uh, the one our man says something is wrong, and that's when the evolution of the arm says, my doppelganger. Um, and we actually see the doppelganger come to life in the uh, from the Venus de Milo statue in the hallway, which Lynch paid special attention to, right? There's yeah, a we couple kept seeing of... a lot of cuts of those uh, statues. Yeah. So, I mean, for him to, the, the doppelganger to emerge from the Venus de Milo statue... Uh, could mean any number of things. I have no clue as to what it means, but um, I did find it very. He was interesting. pretty pissed off, though. Cooper, he wanted him to get out. Well, he did, and then that's when the floor started. You know, uh, uh, I think he uh, shook and opened the floor and like rocked the floor. It was kind of already starting to rock at the beginning, uh, right? But then it started to really, completely started to break apart, like tearing apart a bunch of piano keys. And right. Cooper looks down and he screams. Uh, the the doppelganger tree screams non-existent. But he screams it like non-existent. It was like really like, I yeah. mean, 
pronounced and Is that terrifying. before or after the original tree was chanting Bob, 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 Bob? Oh, that, yeah, that was, that was after, yeah, because he was saying, yeah, because I think that somehow with the doppelganger um, and the callback to Cooper's doppelganger, the evolution of the arm, I think it was almost like like Bob's presence, something like, because we know that Coop, uh, Mr. C as, uh, you know, evil Cooper with Bob in him is, has a plan for not being returned to the so-called Black Lodge. And I think that that is echoing in through the Black Lodge and the evolution of the arm is picking up on that. Bob has some kind of, like, obviously powers that he's able to influence the events within the Black Lodge or the, the evolution of the arm or doppelgangers itself. I don't even, I don't even think we've seen an nth of what he's, you know, capable to do. Um, but we also see Cooper trying to get out and he opens the curtains and sees the highway of Mr. C driving. So I think that's the moment. That's where he should have gone. He should have gone through gone. there, but he couldn't get through, right? Or did, no, did he, he go did through? Get, yeah, he did get through. It was really odd. There's this one one shot where he's, he's crossing the room and he pauses. And usually when he goes through another room he parts the curtains and he goes through where this one time though and it, it, it happens right before that he pauses and then it's like a jump cut and he just kind of like like kind of like merges into it it's it's an unnatural um uh, uh movement of cooper moving from one uh room to the next so uh, there are a lot of things at play here that are going on in the Black Lodge. I think I could talk like, you know, hours about this and, and still not have any kind of answers. But, Too late. <laughs> another clue reference. But um, <laughs> the, the, I, I don't, I think it's part of Mr. C's plan with manufacturing Dougie and making sure Wait, that. the audience uh, doesn't even know who Dougie is yet. Who's Dougie? Well, I know, but we, we know. We, well, I, I, I keep, but, yeah, but you know what I'm saying is that he's <laughs> obviously created some kind of uh, master plan for Cooper to not return to reality and, and Bob to return to the Black He's Cup. got a plan for that. So, now tell yeah. me this. Tell me this. Why do you think there are these rules or this rule that um, Mr. C, Evil Cooper, has to return to the Black Lodge? Like, that uh, well, I think it ties back into like the paradox of time travel. Like you cannot be two people at the same place in the same time. So that's no. That's I it. get that. I get that. But why does he have to return to the black? Why does Cooper? Even well, have... he has to die or leave Earth. I think he has to. Well, you know what? What's who makes all these Black Lodge rules? Are there like emails that's what that I'm go saying. out? Like, is there like a, a book, a handbook that we need to memorize? I'm not well, sure. yeah. Who why all these rules? Come on. Because why does Cooper? Like you know, he's been in there for twenty five years. Why can he go out like now? Why does Mr. Yeah. like this? I thought 20... the Dugpas, right? The original ancient Dugpas, which were the original wizards that Frost purports uh, via Wyndham Earl were the creators of the lodge, right? And they all, well, they did it just for the sake of evil. Like they're evil for the sake of evil, right? Nihilist, I suppose. But uh, so why so many rules, you know? I guess I fascists know. do have a lot of rules, like nihilist, fascists. They're very strict <laughs> right. about their belief. Well, there are. Them. I mean, there's apparently rules about the Black Lodge. Um, we knew that there is a very specific time and place where you did the little man just would get drunk and just write the laws out like really ridiculous, you know, no shoes on Wednesday, you know, just whatever he's making up is just while he's drunk on like full of garbage bazia. Yeah, (laughs) it probably wouldn't take much for him to get wasted, right? Several thimbles, just three thimbles, just three three thimbles. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that basically leads to Cooper. Basically that when the floor opens, I believe he, it's interesting that he, I think it's water. 
like briefly. Yeah, kind of a like you know what it reminded me of. It reminded me of the scorched engine oil pool at the, in the sycamore trees, kind of oh. like that. He's dropping through like the sycamore oil, okay. and instead of coming into it through the sycamore oil pond in Glassbury Grove, he's on the other side going out of it, and he just starts careening through like an astral, uh, you know, black hole. Um, which is one of my favorite scenes uh, in the entire series still, even after watching seven episodes. Yeah, it's, it really is a great I want a poster scene. of that. I want that. Like, just, that's a great... <laughs> and the sound effect. I'd like to just have a TV in my room, my house, that just has that going all the time. Just never-ending black Cooper kind of careening through space. Yeah, careening like through space all, forever. Okay, yeah, forever. I would not mind if the end of this, this, this entire season, you just end up with Cooper careening through space, and that's it. Like, that's what he does. What well, do you think is after that happens, he winds up like smashing, you know, into like you know, the, the glass box, like the exterior of that building, the glass box that's extends right. out in New York, in New York. That's where he that's his first destination. So does that imply the Black Lodge is above Earth, the earthly plane? Is he um, falls into it? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Instead of actually go. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting point. I never really thought about that. Um, I don't know. You might be right. I just want to know why was that the first destination? Because we know of the the monster that was in the box. We see Cooper go into the box. Nothing happens. To oh, and him. then we do the flat. Well, he goes into the box, but then we have a flashback in time because now we start. We see Tracy again. We see the whole thing again, which implies uh, that angle. this happened before the monster. Yeah, so right is Cooper supposed came. to be trapped in that box with the monster? Is Cooper yeah. related to that monster? Maybe it's an ambush for Cooper, a Cooper ambush. Yeah, I mean, is it, it, it would make sense if... Because Cooper... Jeffrey says, I missed you in New York. Oh, yeah. And so he could have been somehow uh, sicking the, the box monster on Coop. I don't know why, but could uh, Coop, could Could Jeffrey's have been the box monster? Anything's possible. <laughs> it could be Laura. It could be anything. <laughs> it could be, yeah. Do you think we'll get an answer as to... be the to... ghost of Jack Nance. <laughs> He turns out he just he starts to take form in episode fourteen, and you start seeing the eraser head hair, and then you realize it's fucking eraser head. That would be a pretty cool. Well, you know, it was his like really good friend. You know, it'd be a great uh, callback to good old Jack Dance as the. uh, Yeah, we should give a call. Shouldn't there be a callback to Jack Dance in this? There's got to be something with Jack. At least a photograph somewhere. Like I can't believe Piper Laurie and uh, and Donna Hayward have been cut cut out myself for uh, Catherine Turner. I can't. Well, she's probably really old by now, but no, she's still you know. I mean, Ben Horn's or Dick Beamer's like 80, right? I think Piper Laurie's around the same age. Why can he get uh, some screen time? I just don't think she was relevant to um, any kind of plot. What would she do? I mean, it was mostly about Ghostwood and Yeah, Josie yeah, we don't have to and, spend time on that. Yeah. So, okay, so uh, so after like, you know, that, that whole box monster or that glass box, see, Cooper's in there and he you thought that in. was very interesting. He's sucked was very in. cool. He starts floating around. Yeah, he's yeah. fluttering. And it almost, you talk about how like, why would the billionaire have this just observational like box? But maybe with all that little shuddering, the little like, uh, it's like they're collapsing Cooper into small sizes. It might be like a trap. Like that, that's the trap, like in Ghostbusters trying to catch the, uh, the ghost, but it didn't work. And he slips away anyway. He dissolves through the, the bottom of the, uh, the, the, the box and just keeps careening through space. Yeah, which um, if you notice beneath that, there's one shot um, when we were in New York in that uh, loft proper um, that he showed what was beneath the box. And it was just a series of like, like, like you know, wires and computers and whatnot. Yeah, I like that, those shots. Yeah, it's, like, it's interesting because it's like, 
Is that well? When they started to have sex, like Tracy and Sam, like they cut to those underwirings that are oh, the box. It started to kind of come right. alive. Right. You know, it started to almost kind of like like the machine itself is in on it. You know, what I'm saying it's not just an observational machine that somehow it's got some sort of. Do you think the machine is like organic or conscious? That's what I don't know. That's what I'm saying. You never know. It could be like a HAL 5000. It could be from the Lodge. It could be from Project Blue Book. It could be like from right. the Blue. It could be anything. So I hope we get to see more of it. That's the thing. but you think really... that. It's an actual like obviously it's a portal of some sort. Do you think it's like a natural portal or it was? Like yeah, well, think of it this way: like the leftovers and lots of other episodes, like the leftovers. At least in season two, they started to talk about like, or maybe it was season one, but they talked about there were certain parts of the world that had these hot spots where people, um, like in Miracle, Texas, no one was uh, taken by the rapture in that place, but other places, everybody was taken. And so I think there are hot spots around the world that are like lodge hot spots, like Glastonbury Grove. And so this place right. in New York could be uh, a prime landing pad for the, the, the transient travelers. It's like, you know, it's like O'Hare Airport for uh, lodge members going across, across the, the planetary timescape. I mean, so I think it's something like that. I think it, it, it's a natural uh, occurrence here, but it's like if they built a giant box over Glastonbury Grove with the sycamore trees. So they built like technology over this uh, organic um, hotspot for the lodge. And maybe Buenos Aires as well because of Philip Jeffries. Yeah, I think that's one that. too. I mean, right. we could probably go have a list of the hot spots that we think. And that ties have. into the, our, the, the Hellgate theories and the Jack Room 315 in the, in, the, in the Great Northern Hotel. Right. The hum that we've got, right? I mean, Sarah Palmer, right. the Laura Palmer, the Palmer household. Oh, Palmer's that's, room. Well, that's a great segue because right after uh, uh, Cooper uh, leaves the glass box, he's creeping through space again, and we cut to the Palmer <laughs> house and Sarah Palmer, and we thought that, that he scene. was going to show up there, right? Yeah, like, we thought he was going to pop out of the painting on the wall in Laura's room and be there. So we watched. Yeah, uh, but that was avidly. I think it's very great curious scene. that. We had the transition of, of her at that particular point because right. she's watching that program where was it lions or ty- what was what, I think it was two lionesses tearing apart an eating a an antelope okay and Something, an just, ox I don't know and she's smoking and she's drinking but she she's re- she's reacting to I think what she's watching but I think she's also reacting to something that's like kind of unknown like a feeling you know because we know that Sarah Palmer has the sight right she's gifted in some way. Wait, so, did you notice that she had like? Well, I thought she was just you know staring blankly. I didn't think she had any facial expressions at all. Well, she no, she kind of like she leaned uh, forward, I think, for her glass or whatever, and then she's watching it, and Lynch does a close up, and then she just, she, I just got the sense that she was seeing beyond what she was watching on television, especially coming. Well, I thought she was kind of in her own head. She wasn't really watching the show. She probably was. Re- I thought she was remembering all the horrific things that happened in her household. <laughs> right, but I, I would have moved. <laughs> right, right, but I think it might be just. I mean, I think it's it's very curious that you know we cut to when Cooper is careening through space, going on a journey to return to this world. Ultimately, that we go to that house, Sarah Palmer's house, because so far in seven hours, seven episodes, that's the only time we've seen her. Like that moment, right. I think it's very curious that he chose at that moment, and then that leads us into, you know, the, our great, you know, ending at the roadhouse. That's right. With the chromatics, and uh, we get a little scene though, yeah, right? First, we get of... to see, yeah, we get to see Shelley and her drinking girlfriends having having some drinks, and we, she talks about her daughter being married to the wrong guy, and then we see a James Hurley sighting coming in with his little buddy, 
And I think the girls start making fun of him a little bit. A little buddy like, with a green glove. Did yeah, you with a green that? glove, and he looks like he's been sick or something. And then they ask if James is some weirdo or something, and she says, "No, James is cool. He's always been cool," which I think is the most the biggest lie I ever told in every any Twin Peaks scene ever, because I never thought James was cool. But that's fine. I thought it was actually an emotional. Uh, it was a touching scene. It was like a reunion. I felt warm and fuzzy when she, you know, said James has always been cool, and I, I liked the scene. I thought that was a great. The song, chromatic song was fantastic. And I thought the ending was great. I really like. Then we could see also Jacques Renault, Walter Olkowitz in the background, which I also made me smile. Yeah, Jean Michel, and Jean Michel. also uh, Balthazar Getty is red. That's right. Red makes a little finger gun. He did a little uh, finger gun. To at, Shelley, uh, which Shelley. makes me wonder is she is she, is she uh, messing around with that guy? She that loser? She's always yes. messing around with losers. Yes, she is. Well, see, I hope I he's only is. in town for a short while. And I think there's going to be a try. Be very. Uh, uh, a callback to the triangle between Leo, Bobby, and Shelly if we now have Shelly, Bobby, and Red in this triangle. Mm. Because I believe that Amanda Seyfried's character, Becky, is the child of Shelly and Bobby, but they are not... They're either not together or their marriage is, is, is rocky. And uh, you know, Shelly seems to have... like you know She's like, she fell for Leo, she fell for Bobby... I think she's still in that bad boy, bad boy syndrome. Obviously, the scene we saw with the red character, we know he's a bad boy. Bobby, first scene we see him 25 years later, he's completely lost it after seeing a photograph of Laura Palmer. You know, he's... Uh, uh, what episode is that? That was episode four. That was right before oh, we met the okay. great Wally Brando. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only time we've seen Bobby, right? He's a deputy. That's it. Yeah. And that's it. So I think that the, that the... You know, kind of, you know, insinuation there is that uh, Shelly is... Because you see her, she's got that wedding ring around her neck on a necklace, right? Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell. Well, maybe that she's... means she separated them. Wedding ring is, around... Is that, what, what does that, that mean? What does it symbolize? <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't it mean, like, uh, for people who, uh, like, widow, uh, uh, widows? Uh, that, I have that, no idea. That's interesting. That they'll true. wear their, uh, their spouse's ring around their, their neck? Is I've that never, true or no? I've never heard that. Well, so well, okay, so, yeah. then the, then the chromatics, yeah, we're, yeah, um, that's it. yeah, that's, that's two episodes. First it, two episodes. It premiered at Cannes like that. Everybody gave it a five minute standing ovation. Did you watch that? I did not give it a five minute standing ovation upon. I Friday. didn't either. I don't think, I, I, I really. I had I'm, to go clear my head and try to get myself <laughs> back to sanity to continue on with the series. On repeat viewings, I really, really, really like one and two. I really, really do. But it was hard. It took. It took a couple of times um, to really kind of, you know, kind of adapt to Lynch's new style. Because I think these two episodes, other than maybe parts of uh, the sixth episode, I think are, are, are an endurance. They're, they're, they're tough. You know, they're challenging. And I'm, I don't just mean that mysteriously. I think, like, artistically. And I think it's done purposely. And uh, what, what better way for Lynch and Frost to, like, 25 years later... To completely like you know go a completely different direction that that anyone imagined they would go, and uh, I think it's going to be you know uh, considered as time passes like a great great two hours of uh, television. The onset of what will turn out to be you know I think an epic mystery of epic proportions. So um, it's taken a while, and for anyone who hasn't seen it or just watched it once. Like any of the episodes, please rewatch them because there's so much information. I guarantee you, you will enjoy it more on repeat viewings. 
Well, I agree with that, and we know, since we've watched the first seven episodes, that the show is amazing, and uh, it just takes a while to get warmed up, and it's still, I, I, I go back and look at the first two episodes, and I think they're great. Um, I definitely feel that uh, Mr. C is way more scary after I see what he turns out to be <laughs> than the, this character we beat in the first two hours. <laughs> uh, but I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and we will continue to give uh, updates uh, on the future episodes. But I think we're going to come back maybe next week or next time with uh, our reviews on part threes and four. So I look forward to that. Do you have any last thoughts for this episode, my friend? No, I think that was it, my friend. We've gone on for a long time. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Bye.